deep down in, in the human soul is a gate. I mean, if Jesus was here, he'd say, it's a thirst for righteousness. You and I have a thirst for righteousness. Paul says you have a struggle for righteousness. It's in the DNA of who you are. It's in your soul. It drives everything you do. It's defining you. It's determining the life of your directions. It's shaping your relationships. It, it's why we do what we do. It's the, the raging inferno underneath the surface, the calm surface of our lives, okay? What's the first thing we do in our struggle for righteousness? Do you know what it is? Look at verse uh, three of chapter 10 of Romans. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to the righteousness of God. The first thing we do in our struggle for righteousness is try to establish our own. I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You need righteousness. I need righteousness. You need worth. You need value. You need security. You need to know that you're justified. You're acceptable. You're approved. You're validated. Your life has meaning and worth. You need well-being. You need flourishing. And so we go and we try to establish our own righteousness, our own worth, our own acceptability. The Bible calls that self-righteousness. Amanda Jenkins wrote a book called Confessions of a Raging Perfectionist. That's a phenomenal title, isn't it? I love, I'm always gravitating towards titles like that because that's kind of my DNA. She says she's addicted to perfection. And here's how she describes her addiction. She says, like most perfectionists, I want everything in my life to be beautiful. Everything. So, I want my home to look fabulous. I want my car to sparkle. I want my love handles to disappear. I want my closets to be organized. My children to be well-behaved and happy, usually in that order. And my editor to find zero mistakes. I want people to think I have everything under control. And I actually want everything under control. End quote. I live with one of those. <laughs> yeah. No, I am that person. All right, according to the Bible, the number one tool. All right, so you and I struggle for righteousness. Our number one solution is to establish our own. Our number one tool, according to the Bible, is the law. You didn't see that coming, did you? The law. Verse 4 Chapter 10, Romans, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He's the end of the law for trying to establish a righteousness. The Apostle Paul's logic here is really personally probing. He says there's a struggle for righteousness. The number one solution is to establish your own righteousness. And then the way you do it is law righteousness. Some of you are thinking, that just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and if it doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense to you because you've been in the church for a while and you're like, I'm not, an, I'm, not a, I'm not an Israelite. I'm not stuck at Sinai, pal. Um, I, I'm not concerned about keeping the Ten Commandments. I don't even know if I can name all of them. Right? And then others of you are thinking, I could care less about the law. All it does is create a bunch of uptight, legalistic zombies. I'll do whatever I want. I'm my own law. Okay. 
I get it. I hear both of you, and I just want you to hold on for a second. Can you stay with me for just a couple? Give me two minutes to respond. Here's how I want to respond. We know the famous Ten Commandments. We could call those the big L laws, as Paul Zare does. Big L laws, the Ten Commandments. Now, you may or you may not, as a church person, look to those commandments to use them to establish a way for you to connect to God and to his blessings or use them or fear them or live under them to feel good about yourself or to find and generate and prove yourself to yourself and to other people. You may or may not do that. But chances are that some of you, all of us, have some spiritualized version of those 10 out there that we use for measurements in our life and we use to check our spiritual pulse with, like, Have I had my quiet time today or in a week or in a month? Have I opened my Bible this year, right? Or uh, what else did I write down? Oh, letting go and letting God. That's a great spiritual law we have. You know, it's this mark of surrendering. Well, how do you measure a surrender? But somehow some people have written books on what that means and what that looks like. And they can tell you exactly when you know you've surrendered enough and when you've actually made that commitment that unlocks everything in your life and sets you free. Some folks say it's speaking in tongues. That's a measure. That's a mark of whether you're a powerful Christian, a mature Christian, a God-using Christian. Others, it's like kissing dating goodbye. The law of kissing dating goodbye. That's a book, by the way. Um, how about doing ministry, going, on a, going overseas and doing a mission trip or having a powerful encounter experience with God? These all become spiritual laws to connect us to God and to make us feel like we're okay and to connect us to value and worth and to stave off insignificance and to keep uh, that doom that you're a failure and a nobody at bay. Okay, now the Ten Commandments might be stretching it for some of you. You don't even, you can't even relate to what I just said. All right, fine. But there are other laws that you use to try to establish a righteousness. Paul Zoll calls those the little L laws. And these little L laws are endless. They're innumerable. They're infinite. They're as, they're as many as there are human beings that can generate them. Parents that can dish them out. Communities and cultures that can dictate them. Races that can tell you what matters. Every social group generates them. Paul calls them in Galatians the elementary principles of the world. In other words, the whole world is driven by laws. You have the Ten Commandments, which are the template, but then out of those Ten Commandments, little L laws run throughout the whole fabric of the universe and the human heart because we're trying to establish a relationship or our righteousness before God. For instance, there's the little L law of thinness, the perfect body. That law is religiously obeyed by women in our culture today. You don't think so? That law is so powerful, it drives Hollywood, it drives models. It's so powerful, that law. That law is used to give women worth and value 
to make them feel okay about themselves. That law drives single ladies in their quest to find a man. It drives married women and elder women to try to feel good about themselves and have some sort of, I'm okay, in a world that's saying, thinness and the perfect body is where you're justified. It's so powerful, you tell that to the folks that struggle with eating disorders, how powerful this law is. It's a powerful law. Now, just so that we're, we're an equal opportunity employer up here, let's, let's go after the men a little bit. How about, how about the little L law of achievement? That law has enslaved more men than Pharaoh ever did. And that law is 10 times more brutal than Pharaoh. Demanding, exacting, punishing, fatiguing, life-threatening. Amanda Jenkins writes about her laws and she says, listen, I begin each day with a list. Keep the house picked up, limit myself to one Diet Coke, spend special time with each of my kids, work out, pray, avoid sugar, read a chapter in a book about something important and so on and so forth. And then I determine each day's worth, my worth, by how well I did those things or accomplished those things or can check them off my list. Can you relate to that? Calvin, he could have reworded. Remember, he's, he's so famous. He said this great line. He says, listen, the heart is an idol factory. We could rework it and say the heart is a law-making factory. Constantly spewing and generating and living under endless laws in an effort to justify our existence, to establish a righteousness of our own. Okay. <clears throat> Let's personalize it a little more as if you don't want to feel more uncomfortable than you already do. What laws do you generate? This was really, really helpful for me this week. What laws do I generate? My wife can tell you. My kids can tell them. What are yours? Here's one way you can try to find out. Find the pressure points in your life. Where are the pressure points in your life? Everyone is stressed. (coughs) Everyone has pressure points in their life. I mean, welcome to the real world, right? If you're trying to live a stress-free life and a a non-troubled life, you can't do it in this life. But there is a difference between stress and anger and pressure and mega stress. Mega pressure. Over anger. Find the over, the mega, the epi. It's called epithume. It's a, it's a Greek word for epithume, which means mega over emotions or desires. Find them, and you'll find where you are living under a law that you've got to fulfill or you will be condemned and declared a non-person. The opposite of justification. Find it. Now, if that doesn't help, find what laws you inflict on others. Because the laws that you're inflicting on others and making others live by are the laws that you actually live under. So follow your judgments. Follow where you criticize people. Follow, oh yeah. They're missing self-discipline. And so you judge them with your standards of self-discipline. What else do we do? Well, where are you always trying to fix people? 
Wherever we're trying to fix people, we're trying to fix them because they're living under our law. You see that? Follow where you're always right and other people are wrong. Follow where you feel prideful and superior. Follow where you condescend. Follow those things and you're going to find your laws. You're going to find what you use to try to establish a righteousness of your own. The Bible says the sum of the law is what? Loving God and loving others. And there's not a belief system on the planet that doesn't believe that loving others is important. Even relativistic belief systems, naturalistic belief systems, everyone will say loving others is necessary to be able to coexist, to thrive, to be able to live in this world, or everything is chaos and everything is anarchy. So please hear me. Loving others is so important that everyone in the church and outside the church recognizes it's necessary for happiness and well-being for everybody. Now watch what happens. Whatever laws we try to live by in an effort to establish a righteousness of our own, those laws keep us from loving others. So this is a big deal. It just doesn't affect you and me where I'm trying to get my worth. It affects now how I treat other people. We will accept, justify people who keep our laws. And we will reject, we will withhold relationship from people who don't. It's your wife, it's your kids, it's your parents, it's your friends, it's your church members, it's your work associates. It's the casual relationships, it's the people you bump into. All right. How do I know this? Who were the most committed law people that ever lived? The Pharisees. And you remember what Jesus said about them? You know what they did? They had the Ten Commandments, and they were so law-keeping and so serious about being perfect and so serious about being good and so serious about being holy, so serious about being obedient. They took the Ten, and they added 500-plus laws to them. Single-handedly, the best people that ever lived on the face of the planet. In standards today, we'd say, wow, those are holy people. You know what Jesus said about them? They are the furthest away from God. The furthest away from righteousness. The furthest away from love. Laws keep you from loving others. Okay, so the only way to love God and love others, many of us are very concerned about the Ten Commandments. We actually think that they're, we saw what they are last week, that they are designed to actually take us to an impossible place and reveal that we're not righteous, so that they drive us outside of ourselves, drive us from trying to establish a righteousness of our own, drive us to the righteousness of another. Yes, exactly. But now we look at the Ten Commandments, we say, well, is there, can I love it all? Is there, can I love God at all? Can I love people at all in any meaningful way in real time and space, like right now? Can I do that? And the answer is, you cannot unless you are free from your struggle for righteousness. You cannot unless you're free from the struggle to establish a righteousness of your own through the law. And so the question is, how do you do that? How do you get free from the struggle for righteousness? How do you stop? trying to establish a righteousness of your own. How does that happen? (laughs) 
How does that happen? The answer, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Get this, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is unleashed. There it is. In the gospel, the power of God and the life of God is unleashed in righteousness given to those who don't have it. A righteousness from God justifies. A righteousness from God makes you worthy. (laughs) Makes you a somebody. A righteousness from God keeps you from being non-existent, a nothing, a nobody, wicked, sinful, deteriorating person. The righteousness of God. Luther called it a received righteousness. What he meant by that, it's a righteousness that's received, not a righteousness that's achieved. The Apostle Paul calls it the breastplate of righteousness. You know what that means? I mean, what is he doing? He's putting, it's one of the armors of God. He's saying, look, life, it's war. Life is a struggle. Get over it. So how are you going to live in it? And he says the number one piece is you put on this breastplate and it's a breastplate of righteousness and it covers your heart. It covers the daggers and close in fighting. It covers the spears over the top. It covers the phalanx collisions. It protects your heart. It's the only thing that reaches your heart. It's the only thing that gives you a secure, established heart. It's the only thing that gives you a solid self and makes you somebody. It's the only thing that enables you and empowers you to love because now you can forget about yourself and stop trying to establish a righteousness of your own which is so self-absorbed and so self-centered and we do it all the time. Romans 10, 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. We could say it this way. Christ is the end of your struggle for righteousness. Christ is the end of your addiction to perfection. Christ is the end of your need to control your life. Christ is the end of your turning inward and not being able to love others. Jesus is your righteousness. He's your righteousness. And when he becomes your righteousness for the first time, you become a Christian. But then as he functionally becomes your righteousness as a Christian, you become who you were meant to be. You can be comfortable in your own skin. You can walk around and actually find out who you really are without trying to deflect who you are to other people all the time and who you think you should be according to this law or this standard or this expectation. You can finally take an honest assessment and realize what you're really like and be okay with it and know that Jesus is that for you. You can actually be real. You actually can be a human being. You actually can stop judging people. You actually can start loving people. You're actually free and you have more energy in your life. So how do you obtain this righteousness? You receive it, of course. 
117, Romans, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's unleashed, it's revealed, it becomes real to you. It's yours through faith to faith. Notice faith to faith. So it begins with faith. So when that happens for the first time, you're a Christian. You completely had a cataclysmic, cosmic, eschatological, find another word, change. Bible says a new creation. That's good, that's good. I like apocalyptic better, but that's a good word. You're a new creation. And then to grow as a Christian, faith to faith. In other words, you never get off in the Christian life. It's about trusting better, trusting deeper, trusting more brightly in what Jesus has done for you. That's how you grow. Faith. Faith energizes. It, as Paul says, faith energizes love. That's what we're talking about here. So what we do is faith is empty hands. It's saying, I have no righteousness. And it's receiving the righteousness of another and receive it as a gift. Rest in it, relax in it, rejoice in it, celebrate it, hear it. Ask God to make it more clear to you and more real to your heart. That's how it happens. Anything else I want to say? Yes, but we got to end. Um, you can't open your eyes and open your heart to this righteousness. But the Holy Spirit can. So, so ask him. Ask him to open your eyes as a Christian, or if you're not a Christian for the first time, to the received righteousness of another the righteousness of Christ himself, the most expensive, beautiful commodity in the universe and the cosmos, and you get it by grace. You can't earn it. You can't work it. You can't perform it. You can't law it. Jesus earned it. Jesus performed it. Jesus lawed it. And then ask God to push it into those areas of your life where you feel the pressure points. Where are those areas that you feel stress and pressure? The mega epi kind. Push the righteousness of Christ into those areas and ask him to push it into those areas nice and deep. Push into those areas where you're judging people. Push into those areas where you feel the pressure to live under standards and laws. Push into those areas where you're extremely depressed because you're self-loathing yourself and hating yourself and condemning yourself because you didn't measure up. To someone's standards of your own, push it in there. No, I have the righteousness of Christ, not my righteousness. And watch the fog, the dark clouds go away. Eventually. Push it to where you're angry. Push it where you're insecure. Push it, push it, push it. As Luther would say, you know what he says? I love Luther because he makes me look gentle. Beat it into your head, he says. And beat it into everybody else's head. I love that. You would have been an MA fighter. All right, here's how I want to end. You already have what you're looking for. That's it. You already have it. You already have the righteousness you're looking for. So the, the, the goal this week is to ask the Lord to show you where you're still trying to look for something you already have. Root it out. Find those pressure points. Root it out and replace it with the righteousness of another. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the righteousness of Christ. We thank